Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com's national editor, Matt Myers, on today's show. And I swear this is true. We're going to talk about bunting. I have got an amazing bunting fact I can't wait to share with you all in regards to the Oakland A's. We're going to try to figure out what's wrong with Luis Severino. We are going to shine a StatCast light on David Bote. A quick Kyle Tucker note. And we're going to be joined by our friend, Brian Kenny, who is going to be doing a Sabercast this Friday with myself and Joe Girardi and John Heyman, Mets, Phillies, 6 o'clock on LB Network. So that's going to be pretty exciting. We have to talk about the Oakland A's. Like the Oakland A's, I know we've talked about them on the show before. I'm so excited about what they're doing. Um, they are right now 72-48, and 48, fourth best winning percentage in baseball, one game behind Houston in the AOS. Forget the wild card. That is mind-blowing to me. Uh, as they're, uh, they're about to kick off as we're playing here, but three and a half games ahead of Seattle, three and a half games behind the Yankees. How into the 2018 Oakland A's are you? Very. <laughs> I mean, as listeners to this program know, we've been talking about them since the since spring training. Hey, they could be interesting, not to pat ourselves on the back too much. They're definitely much better than even the most optimistic A's, A's fans uh, could have imagined. They are. I, I really liked this. Uh, this Jared Diamond wrote this in the Wall Street Journal. The most 2018 team possible because they've got uh, a killer bullpen. We've talked about that. They hit a ton of dingers and they played good defense and their starting pitching is a total joke more or less. And it's, it's really funny to see, you know, they are, they are not like zigging while everybody else is zagging. They are just extremely zagging. And they're, they're leaning into the uh, (laughs) launch angle and levers and such. So they have highest launch angle in baseball. Their batters do. The major league average is 11.7 degrees. Their launch angle is 14.8 degrees. Uh, For some context, the lowest is the Marlins at 8.4 degrees. Unsurprisingly, they have the highest fly ball rate, 39.2%. The average is about 35%. The Marlins, again, have the lowest. Now, I swore we were going to talk about bunts, and here's where we're going to talk about bunts. I I couldn't really believe this when I came across this. The Oakland A's so far this year have zero bunt hits. And uh, let's shine a light on a quick discrepancy here. Baseball Savant says zero. Baseball References zero. Fangraph says one. I went back and I looked. It was a Matt Joyce bunt in April when it was an error on Jose Abreu. I'm comfortable saying that's not a hit. I'm going with zero here. And if we clean go, it up, Fangraphs. If we go back to uh, 1988, which is the earliest year that this data is available, no team has ever done this. Now, I can't say I know the data for every single year before 1988, but I'm pretty comfortable in saying teams bunted a lot more back in the day. So I think that if the A's get through the season without a single bunt hit, they will be the first team, basically, to ever do this. Which is cool. It's so cool. It's very, and it's also very A's. Not because like yes. they were sort of at the forefront of, you know, when Sabermetrics was sort of really starting to permeate front offices when teams stopped sacrifice punting. 
uh, when, you know, people are like, oh, giving up outs is dumb. We shouldn't do that anymore. The A's were like leading the charge on that front. And now they're just like, forget buns altogether. Can I tell you the second weirdest thing about this? I Please. wanted to find out in the, the era that we have data, which team, you know, was the previous record holder. And I sort of figured it would be last year, the year before. And for the most part, that's true. Uh, just looking at the stack cast and pitch effects data going back to 2008, uh, the previous record holder last year, the Tigers had three bunt hits. Uh, in 2016, the Red Sox had three bunt hits. You know, a lot of teams with three, four, five bunt hits. I went all the way back to 1995, the St. Louis Cardinals had one bunt hit all year long by Geronimo Pena. Now, to be fair, that was a shortened season. They didn't play a full 162, but still, that was 23 years ago. That was a team that was managed by Joe Torre until he got fired midseason. How in the world did a Cardinals team 23 years ago go almost an entire season without a single bunt hit? I don't have the answer for you because I don't know, but it's just like the weirdest thing I think I've ever come across. It's odd. It's very odd. Um, the thing about the A's here, by the way, this isn't really new in terms of them, you know, getting the ball off the ground. This was sort of how they built the last generation of good A's teams. Remember, they would go back uh, when they realized that everybody was trying to throw sinker balls and get ground balls. They got these guys with these perfect swing paths who could crush low baseballs like Brandon Moss was a great example of that. I think Josh Reddick is probably a good guy like that. Uh, and then if you look at the 330 team seasons going back to 2008, the A's have four of the 11 lowest ground ball seasons uh, on record. The 2013 A's, 2017 A's, and 2014 A's were the three lowest. 2012 A's are up there, and this year's A's are the 11th lowest ground ball season ever. This is like kind of their brand. And this is, this, it's funny because they've gone through a lot of changes. They were really good in 23-14. Pretty terrible the last couple of years. Insane this year, but that hasn't changed. They're still getting these guys who crush baseballs. Yeah, I mean, they, they've they basically been trying to build different versions of the same team, and kind of sometimes it works really well, and other times it doesn't. And this is, you know, they're they're hitting right now. It's like a perfect a perfect storm. Um, dominant relievers. They already had brought in Trinan, and now they also have um, some star players. You know, Matt Chapman, like a legitimate superstar on the like, position player. So they, they've got some other complimentary pieces, but now they also have like a superstar sort of like when they emerged, uh, you know, 2013, 14, when Josh Donaldson was playing like a superstar. Yeah. And the thing about Matt Chapman, first of all, I'm comfortable saying he's the best defensive third baseman in baseball. I know everybody loves Nolan Arenado and certainly not saying he's not great. He is. I think Matt Chapman is better. I, I mean, Arenado even said it. The craziest thing is that they went to I the same it. high school. I love it. That is the craziest thing. But you know what else is? It's like Matt Chapman is not just like an empty glove. He's hitting 280. 366, 509. That's a 141 weighted runs creative plus. I mean, that is an elite level bat. He's a, I can't say he's an MVP candidate. Not in the American League, not with Betts and Lindor and Ramirez and, and Trout and JD Martinez. But there, there are years in which he would be an MVP candidate. Like the, the, the season he's having now is an MVP year in other seasons. It just so happens that right now in the American League, as you mentioned, Betts, JD Martinez, Trout, just to begin with, oh, Jose Ramirez, those four guys are having transcendent seasons. Do you think that the A's are going to overtake the Houston Astros? No, I don't. But like, you kind of want them to, right? I mean, it would certainly be fun. You know, that's, um, you know, it'd be really, really, really good story to see, like, to, just to see that happen. But it's... I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so either. Uh, one more note on the A's. Their defense is incredible, right? This is a big step forward. Their defense last year, not that great. Now, we don't have StatCast infield metrics yet. We're going to work on it this offseason. Um, but I could be this. On ground balls, we looked at expected batting average versus actual batting average. It's a pretty good indicator of who's adding and subtracting value. The best team in baseball at adding value on ground balls is the Diamondbacks. They're adding 41 points. Uh, their expected batting average is 253, but they're only giving up a 212. 
A's are second at plus 27 points, the worst. Pittsburgh Pirates at minus 30 points. And that's a pretty big gap from top to bottom. That's like 70 points of difference. And I think that aligns pretty well. The D-backs have a very good infield defense. So do the A's. And I think it's a big part um, of, of what they're doing. But I really like the idea of them in the, the wild card game. Give like, I don't know, six outs to Trevor Cahill and then bring in 45 different relievers. They're perfect for that. Uh, well, also, just uh, I just brought it up. They play the Astros this weekend. They host the Astros for three. Then they've got the Rangers, the Twins, and they go to Houston for three, and then they host the Mariners again. So like oh. the next two weeks, AL West is going to be uh, lit, as Let, the kids say. Let's talk more about the American League. But first, this episode of the StackCast podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is simple, so you can understand the details and get approved in as few as eight minutes. Apply simply, understand fully. Mortgage confidently at rocketmortgage.com based on a sample of Rocket Mortgage clients who met qualifying approval criteria and specific loan requirements at the time of application. Results may vary. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Now, before we get to Luis Severino and the Yankees, let's stick in the American League West. This is sent in to me by a listener. And by the way, I love it when listeners send me stuff. Aaron Ashcraft sent me this earlier today. And thank you, Aaron. Kyle Tucker, uh, highly touted Houston Astros outfield prospect, not off to a great start. 140, 246, 200. Not so good. <laughs> but Aaron pointed out to me that he has 11 batted balls this season, hit with a 100 miles an hour exit velocity, and it has produced one single, which is ridiculous. And so I looked it up and he's, he's right. 402 hitters have had at least 10 batted balls of 100 miles an hour exit velocity. He has the lowest average in baseball on those. Now, part of it, seven of them are ground balls. Hit the ball on the ground. Who cares really how hard it is? But last night, uh, against the Rockies, he crushed one, 102.7 off the bat, 32-degree launch angle, 401 feet. Charlie Blackman caught it on the warning track. Uh, 95% of balls hit 400 feet or more are hits. 86% of balls hit 400 feet or more are home runs. So I wouldn't say it's bad luck because he's hitting a lot on the ground. But, I mean, this has to be a good sign for Kyle Tucker. Exit velocity is great. He's got exit velocity. We're going to get up to that in a lot in a second about uh, David Bode. But I don't know. Kyle Tucker – Sorry, <laughs> reason to be optimistic because I mean the Astros are been, they kind of need a little bit of a spark plug right now, and so maybe that there's there if you if you if you squint at Tucker, you can see okay maybe this is he's going to start to become the guy we hoped he would be when we called him up and can kind of get them going back in the right direction. Right, uh, back to you know, Luis Severino, the Yankees. The Yankees are, I mean the, the at least is over, right? We can say that it's over. I guess yeah, it's over. for all intents and purposes. It's over. The question is, are the Yankees going to host the wild card game? or be on the road, or there's at least some, there's not a scenario where they don't make it, but they'll be in the wild card game. But the problem is that their starting rotation is kind of a mess right now. Sonny Gray wasn't good. He got demoted. Jordan Montgomery blew out his elbow. Cece Zabathia just hurt his knee. Luis Severino was their ace, and he has not been very good lately. Uh, last year, he uh, from the beginning of last year, 2017, through All-Star 2018, he had a 265 ERA, fifth best in baseball behind Kershaw, Kluber, Scherzer, and Sale. That's a pretty good quartet to be behind. This year, 231 ERA in the first half, seventh best. He was great. He's been great. The last seven starts, 30 earned runs, 36 innings pitched. That's a 750 ERA. That is the sixth worst in that span. And I'm going to read you this list, and you'll totally understand why I'm going to read you this list in a second. Uh, the worst ERA in that time is 967 by Birch Smith. He's not the point. The second worst ERA in that time is a straight-up nine, Luis Perdomo. Somehow we always find a way to get Luis Perdomo on the show. Uh, just ahead of John Lester, by the way. He was collapsing hard with an 865. There is your Luis Perdomo fact of the week. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Too soon? I don't know. Anyway. So I wrote about Luis Severino. I tried to identify what in the world is going on with him. And um, 
basically all of his pitches are getting hit hard. Like, but what's interesting about this, you know, you look at his fastball, right? And you, the first thing you'd think is, well, maybe that fastball velocity is down. Maybe he's hurt. It's not true. Everything I'm about to say here is split between his first 18 very good starts and his last seven not so good starts. Velocity, first 18, 97.7. Last seven, 97.3. It's about the same. Even in his last start against the Mets, he hit 99 four times. Spin rate's the same. Usage is the same, 50%. Zone rate's the same, 60%. But his first 18 starts, a 214 average against, a 318 slugging against. Last seven starts, a 434 average against, and an 803 slugging against. That's uh, I'm no doctor, but that's worse. Would you say? Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been ugly for Severino, and Yankee fans are clearly kind of worried because it's he was sort of like the guy they felt. I think there was a, definitely a comfort level of okay, well, looks like we're heading the wild card game, and if so, we have Severino. Granted, he sort of collapsed in the wild card game last year, but you know that's one start you want to, you don't really want to read that much into it. But right now, he just doesn't look like the same pitcher. And you pinpointed it; it looks actually like his slider is actually. I think so. There's a difference. There's a theory here. Now, the slider has had very similar outcome differences. His first 18 starts, 152 average, 217 slugging, very, very good. Last seven starts, 271 average, 508 slugging. That's bad. It's basically gone from top five to bottom five, which is kind of shocking to me. The difference here is that when I looked at the fastball, I didn't really see anything different, movement, spin, etc. But when I look at the slider, it's very, very different. Through his first 18 starts, he had the highest spin rate in baseball in the slider, and it's down by about 7% in August. His last two starts have had two of his lowest three spin numbers of the year. Slider spin's a little bit of a tricky thing. There's not as high of a correlation to swinging strikes or ground balls or anything that we've talked about with fastballs and curveballs. So by itself, I probably wouldn't have paid much attention to this, but when I look and see the movement numbers are different, uh, it's, it's pretty big to me. Horizontal movement, 11 inches in April, 10 inches the next couple months, down to nine in August. Vertical, and these are numbers with gravity. Uh, so they're a little bigger than you've seen on other sites. 40 inches of drop in April, below 36 in August. So the takeaway here is compared to April, Severino is getting three fewer inches of drop, two fewer inches of break on his slider. The spin is down. The outcomes are down. I couldn't tell you why that's happening, but I guess what I'm trying to say is if you have a worse slider, then guys can sit on your fast straight fastball, which I think is what's happening. You wonder, I mean, we're obviously just like kind of speculating, but obviously you know, last year, Severino took a huge jump in innings of anything he'd ever done before. This year, he's trending the same way. Because also, when you factor in the pitch deep into the postseason last year, so you know that's one of the things that's sort of the the tricky part about how pitchers are developed nowadays is because they're run along so slowly that if you do get injured and kind of get a setback, you kind of have to start from scratch again. And it takes you that much longer to really get back up to a level where you can be considered a workhorse. And since teams are devaluing workhorses in general, it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. They're becoming even more of a a rare breed. I would not be surprised if once rosters expand, they give Severino like a nice 10 day break. But what if they can't? Like their rotation is so thin right now. I know they're the perfect team for bullpenning, so they can do that. But I mean, do you trust Jay Happ and Lance Lynn to lead a rotation? I think it's more that they think they've got the 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 home game in, in the wild card locked up. Because for them, home game really matters. The Yankees are 42 and 18 at home this year, 33 and 26 on the road. I, I don't remember exactly when, but the Yankees and A's still have a series. It's in like a week or two weeks, I think. And I feel like that is a series that's going to mean everything, which is crazy. Who thought that? Uh, yeah, the, 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 the Yankees are, the A's are hosting the Yankees starting on Labor Day. Oh my God, I can't wait. I'm so excited for that. We are going to talk about, uh, this is another listener submission, which I appreciate this. Eric Berger, and this was uh, over a week ago. This was before his incredible Grand Slam on Sunday night. Eric Berger, thank you so much. He asked us if we would talk about David Bodie, Chicago Cubs infielder. And at the time I said, oh, that's interesting. We'll think about that. And uh, now he's pretty much a household name. If you saw what he did to the Washington Nationals 
on Sunday night. He hit a walk-off grand slam. Uh, I believe we were calling it the ultimate slam, right? Because it was two outs, what, two two strikes was it? Down three, two outs, two strikes. There was some de- some debate in the office of whether or not an ultimate slam, which is kind of a new term that just seems to have kind of emerged, an ultimate slam has to be two strikes or not. Seemed to me it definitely has to be two outs yeah. down by three. Whether or not you the two strikes, we may need a ruling on this. Was that the platinum slam? <laughs> I mean, that's got to be even better. Um, David Bodie, not a household name. Certainly not, right? But in 94 plate appearances entering today, has hit 329, 418, 539. And um, so far today, they, they were playing as we walked in here. He already had a single at 109.5 miles an hour off the bat. And that's why I'm talking about David Bodie today. 424 hitters had at least 50 batted balls. And he is the leader in hard hit rate at 62.1% above Robinson Cano and Aaron Judge, both at 56%. Now, I'm not saying I expect him to be the leader in hard hit rate for the remainder of the season. He's got a fraction of the batted balls they do, but you don't get there by accident. So I decided I would do some digging on David Bodie. And what I found is interesting because if you go back to 2015, he was in single A, 352 plate appearances and a 384 slugging. That is pretty poor. And it's not exactly the profile of a guy who's going to come up and start crushing baseballs. And then I realized what was happening here. He is a swing changer. This is a really good article in The Athletic back in April uh, by Sav Sharma, where Bodhi basically said, I had one of the highest exit velocities in the organization, but with a low launch angle. So they were saying if we could use that exit velocity and get a little bit more launch angle. You've heard this story a ton of times now, and it doesn't work for everybody. I am sure there are a dozen guys like David Bodhi who tried this in the minors and failed, and you don't know their names because they never made it up. But he did. And I think that's cool. Like this is a, a really, I don't know that this story would have been possible. I don't know, 10 years ago. Like does he make the big leagues 10 years ago? If this is the reason he's up. I don't know, but you, you go back and look at his minor league profile. And it, like, I'm looking at his stat line, 2016 Myrtle beach granted only 313 plate appearances, 337, 410, 518. And Myrtle beach is like a notorious pitcher's park. It's like the way it's like situated. It's like basically like the, the ocean breeze, like is like, blows in and it's a big park. So it's like maybe the toughest park for hitters in all the minor leagues. So even just like, have you been there? I've never been there. I have been there. That sounds cool. It is a great place to watch a game. Um, And, but if it's like 518, you don't fake, you don't fake that. And he was, he was age appropriate for leagues. Even that, like looking back, it's like, Oh, like maybe I should have noticed this guy. And then last year, even at, you know, uh, he raked in the fall league, which everyone makes the fall league, but still stands out. And then this year, uh, he slugged 494 at Iowa. So that's the PCL, but it's still not the the really hitter's haven part of the PCL. So you can sort of start to see the uh, the power coming. You know who I think of when I think of David Bodie? Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz, Cleveland infielder, I guess third baseman, uh, insane exit velocities in the minors, massive forearms, and we've been talking for two years about launch angle. It's not possible for everybody. We haven't seen it happen for him yet. One more thing on David Bodie, and I don't know if I think this is cool or if it just makes me feel like I'm going to you know melt into dust. He is a Colorado native, and he, uh, according to Cut 4, he grew up a Rockies fan. He was born two days before the first Rockies game, and he's like, I grew up watching Dante Bichette, Andres Galarraga, Troy Tulitsky, Brad Hopp, all those guys. And most of me thinks, well, that that's cool. Like That team like created a fan base. Like There are kids out there who grew up like being a Rockies fan. And then another part of me is like, oh, my God, how old am I? Like, they've been around for what, 25 years now? Actually, exactly like, 25 my years. My God. Um, but going back to David Bodie, the Cubs are in a very serious playoff hunt uh, now because the Cardinals have come storming back, and the Brewers are still there. And Chris Bryant has been out since July 23rd. Uh, a recent update I saw yesterday said that there's still no clear timetable for return. He's going to miss at least a month now, probably more. And it turns out that David Bodie is like a serious part of a Cubs playoff brush now yeah and they, they at least like they haven't really quote unquote missed Bryant all that much because Bodie's been so good 
we are going to welcome a guest now. We're going to have my friend, Ryan Kenny. Um, I'm fortunate enough. We're going to be doing the MOB Network Sabercast on Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Mets, Phillies, myself, Brian, John Heyman, Joe Girardi. And we're going to welcome in Brian now to talk about the show. And I really do hope you watch it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We are lucky to be joined now by Brian Kenny, host of the MLB Network Sabercast this Friday, 6 o'clock, Mets Phillies with myself, Brian, John Heyman, and Joe Girardi. Brian, this is what, the third year I think we've done this? Maybe the fourth? It's fun that we keep getting to do this every single year. It is, yeah. Year four of the Sabercast. Oh, that's. I think that's a good thing, right? I think it means that people are enjoying it. And what I'm excited this year is we get Mets Phillies. I feel like we were kind of in this, you know, Cubs Giants sort of rut for a few years. And this is actually a pretty interesting matchup. What do you think is going to be like the main focal point for you? Yeah, I, I think just um, looking at the game through our lens, when I say our, I mean, you know, the way you see the game, the way I see the game, uh, not vastly different. Um, and I think that will be the broadcast. Uh, the fact that, right, it's a meaningful game with the Phillies in, uh, you know, the division race. The Mets are a fascinating team to examine, you know, from the other end, what went wrong. Um, and, you know, just give it the thorough examination. The MLB now, um, you know, MO is to look at the game from a GM's perspective. And again, that was kind of radical when I first got here to MLB Network. You know, that was different. Now, I think a lot of the media, the baseball media, looks at the game that way. Um, I just think we will look at it through our lens, which, again, I think the, the secret is the same secret of the success of the show in that we have a player, an ex-major league player, who's also an ex-manager in Joe Girardi. Uh, we have you. You're the sabermetric plant. You're the sabermetric analyst. I host the show. I'm certainly a sabermetric plant as well. And and John Heyman is, is a sports writer. You know, with his uh, experience and his contacts and his knowledge of trades and um, building a roster – and I think when you put all of that together, then we have a very well-rounded telecast. Um, you know, what I say at the top of each show is the show for the thinking fan. So I think everybody knows you, obviously, by this point. John Heyman is one of the you know most well-known reporters in, in uh, baseball. But Joe Girardi is pretty new to the public sphere. Obviously, he was a manager for many years. I've never worked with him personally. So I think what kind of approach can you expect from him in terms of being favorable to analytics? Huh. It'll be interesting. We have a lot of um, give and take. Um, you know, he'll basically, he'll walk into the newsroom sometimes and say, you know, uh, Hey, I, I want a piece of you, you know? <laughs> and it's like, okay. So he, cause he watches the shows and he has a different point of view, but he wants to engage. And, uh, I think managers, uh, in this era, especially are very engaged with, uh, the numbers and tendencies and probabilities and obviously roster utilization. He's done it at the highest level, uh, managing the Yankees. And um, yeah, Joe, Joe is a lot of fun. He's engaging. He's combative. I think he'll fit right in. Now, I think people hear the term Sabercast and they assume it's just going to be a broadcast that's 100% metrics. And certainly we're going to have some advanced stuff, some StatCast stuff. We're not going to talk about wins and saves being meaningful in any way. But I think the way I also like to look at it is it's not just about numbers so much as it is approach. Like I think about the famous Orioles wildcard game where they never brought in Zach Britton and I was pounding my head against the desk and the broadcasters at the time never mentioned it. And I feel like that's as big a part of this as anything. Like you and I would be losing our minds over that kind of thing in this game, even if it's not about numbers. It's really just more about what's the right way to approach strategies in baseball, right? Right. I, I think that's where yeah we will be different. I mean, first of all, we're going to be calling the game. And I think that's important to know that 
we're calling the game. We're paying attention to the game. It's not a talk show, but there are four guys there, and we will see the game, you know, through our prism. Uh, but where I uh, try to make it a point of emphasis, you know, around the fifth inning, boy, it used to be like I'd say the fifth or sixth inning, and people would think that was crazy, and now we don't think it's crazy, is that tactics. What are we doing? How long are we pitching this guy? You know, last time we were we did a Sabercast, there was no opener. You know, the opener didn't exist. It was a theory. I wrote about it. I had it in my book. Uh, but there wasn't actually like a whole class of openers out there. Now there are. And now I think uh, it'll be something to talk about that for us to be going into the game. And, you know, maybe we'll have um, Syndergaard and Arietta. It's possible. Um, start and so yeah, maybe it'll be a little more traditional, but I think you know where the rubber meets the road, especially in a National League game, is um, it used to be seventh and eighth, now it's fifth and sixth. When do you pull the trigger on that guy? When do you get that starter out? When do you go to your bullpen? Who are you going to? Who are you pinch hitting for? Do you let him hit that one extra time um, in a tight game in the fifth or sixth? How many more outs do you want? That's where, I, and I hear you on that. And I think you're right, Mike. I, I often listen to games, and I know it's hard when you're calling games every day to stand back and examine things in that fashion. But that's what we will do in that you know, always looking at what is what are the decisions that can be made. Uh, that's, uh, I think, the part that, you know, we can really go to another level. So you're going to be serving as the play by play man. You're going to be kind of driving the train. And it's interesting because this isn't a traditional broadcast. What do you think is the right split between, you know, following the action, calling every pitch and then sort of getting into these larger discussions that are maybe more about the baseball world in general than actually Mets Phillies? Yeah, it's almost a feel thing. And in fact, this year, I'd almost like to bring it back. It's weird. I think since there have been a lot, there have been different experiments through over the last few years of doing, you know, a talk show with a game. Whereas again, that used to be only a few years ago, that was just never done. And now that it's been done, I see the value in calling the game. And it is a feel thing where and I've even felt it last year where we would go off on topics and have interesting conversations. But once you've missed the second pitch and you don't know the count, I think it needs to be said. Um, anytime the ball is put in play, especially now these days, you need to be calling that action. So I think the key is to remain faithful to the game that is unfolding in front of us. And then when something happens, let it happen organically that we can mine. Now, going back to the Mets Phillies, I know you're not going to focus on saves or batting average, but you've probably started doing some research already as of I, what's standing out to you about these particular teams that you want to focus on that maybe more traditional broadcast wouldn't. Well, I think that, you know, how much uh, production the Phillies are getting from top to bottom and how and that's kind of the secret to things. You know, the secret to a, a team having a good year is uh, eight guys having good years. And it sounds simple, but you can look at these things and, uh, you know, and uh, the way I look at my baseball reference pages, you can immediately see um, OPS plus 100 is league average. You can immediately see how many players on this roster in this lineup have those numbers in triple digits. If everybody in the lineup is above league average, you have a monstrous team. You have a productive team. Uh, and this year, there isn't one guy really driving it. Reese Hoskins is an, an outstanding hitter, but his OPS plus, I think, is about 127. And that's tops on the team. But they're getting contributions from other players as well. And and that's where it will be at. And then, you know, bullpen usage and and things of that nature, especially with the Phillies. You know, the Mets are kind of broken down at this point. Uh, but the Phillies, you know, that's a team that is looking to take its division. 
Um, and, and that's fascinating. Again, just even looking at it just as of yesterday, really, I started to think of the possibility of a Phillies Braves showdown down the stretch because I kept expecting the Nationals to not only take, you know, to get there, but take over. Now I think we have to realistically assess, hey, Phillies and Braves, uh, are these the two teams going down the stretch with no Nationals involved? Now, Brian, I've had a lot of fun doing these over the last few years, but I have to ask you, when are we going to get out of the studio and do one of these live from a ballpark? Yeah, that's a good point. It's funny. I, like, I, I know, um, one, I don't have the answer to that. Two, <laughs> that's not my call. And, <laughs> but also, it does bring up the point that like, as far as letting the game breathe, um, you're more apt to do that when you're out there breathing in the stadium. <laughs> uh, when you're in the studio, you're just kind of hammering home your talk show. Um, so yeah, there, there might be something to that. Uh, and I, I think there, I think it would add a, a lot to the game. Um, also, you know, the next step is to be at the park for the day. And if you had something, if you, for example, had something with a particular player about, um, you know, a style of hitting a tactical change, change in launch angle or something like that, you could ask the player he's down there, it's batting practice. You could ask them and, you know, have that information to kind of, you know, bring these two things together. Uh, and I think that's, you know, the, the challenge too is, is, you know, this is not just we're, we're geeking out, but this is how we would call a game. This is how I think, um, you know, a bunch of sabermetricians would call a game. Um, and, you know, again, part of, I think, the power of the, the telecast is that um, we're all talking baseball. You know, the fact that you're sitting on the desk with Joe Girardi calling the game is fairly revolutionary. Like that's not done. It's still not done. So I think, you know, we're, you know, we're getting somewhere as far as, you know, what we do on MLB now on a daily basis, but now transfer that to a live game. Well, I know I'm really looking forward to it. So Brian, I'm come over and see you on Friday. The game is six o'clock MLB network, myself, Brian, Joe Girardi, John Heyman, Billy's minutes. Please join. It's going to be a lot of fun. Brian, thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. So thanks to Brian for that. Please do watch the show Friday afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern on MLB Network. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Catch you next week.